Give your attention to the reading of God's word, Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word endures forever. Uh, Well, in Jewish life, there is no psalm more well-known and more frequently recited than Psalm 145. It's recited three times a day, twice in the morning, uh, and again in the afternoon service. It's called Ashrei, which means blessed. Uh, because when you sing it, you begin it, you begin by prefacing it with two other verses. Psalm 84, verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. And then the last verse of Psalm 144, blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Uh, this psalm has twin themes, and they are greatness and goodness. Uh, The psalm calls us to praise God's greatness and to prize his goodness, or we might say to acclaim God's sovereign rule and to appreciate God's caring rule over us and all that he has made. Uh, You know, someone can be great in the sense of being important or powerful, but they cannot be good. And someone can also be good in the sense of being kind and merciful and caring 
and not be great, not be in a position of influence to help us. Uh, But God's greatness is His goodness. And His goodness flows to us through His greatness. He is both of those things. And that's what we're going to look at in this psalm this morning. Uh, Just one other thing about this psalm you might not uh, well, you can't see it in your English translation. Uh, Psalm 145 is an acrostic. Uh, it means each verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, sort of like A, B, C, each, uh, each one begins Aleph, Bet, Gimel. Obviously, that helps for memorization. I think there's a deeper point, though. Uh, Adele Berlin puts it this way, the entire alphabet, the source of all words, is marshaled in praise of God. Uh, So we never have enough words to praise God's greatness and his goodness, but the alphabet gives us all the potential words. Uh, And so the psalm kind of highlights that. Uh, So let's just walk through this together and and see a few things. Uh, The psalm begins in verse 1, I will extol you, my God, the King. Uh, not my God and King. I'm not sure why the ESV does it that way. There are other Psalms that say my God and King. Uh, but here it's my God, the King, which underscores God's exclusive rule. Uh, our King is great. And that's repeated three times in verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Uh, what is unsearchable? Greatness. It, it doesn't mean uh, that you can't start to search it out. It just means you can't ever finish searching it out. Uh, and I think the first stanza kind of underscores the inability of the psalmist to fully grasp God's greatness. If you look at verse 2, he says, Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. And you might think, well, won't that get old? Won't we eventually run out of things to say? Won't we run out of ways to praise Him? And the answer is, no, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Uh, So God is always revealing His greatness through the works that He does. And if you listen to verses 4 to 7, you you hear these phrases. Uh, Verse 4, His works and mighty acts. Verse 5, the glorious splendor of his majesty and his wondrous works. Verse 6, the might of awesome deeds and greatness. Verse 7, the fame of his abundant goodness and righteousness. We, We see the evidence of God's greatness all around us, but that greatness is immeasurable. There's always more evidence that can be found. We can never search it all out. We can never exhaust how great God's greatness is. We can never Google all the ways that God has displayed His greatness and say, well, now I've seen everything. And so the psalmist resolves to praise the Lord. I will extol you, my God and King. Every day I will bless you. Uh, Every day, there are things that we do. Uh, So maybe every day you check Facebook. Maybe every day you read the news. Uh, There's a place for staying informed. But how do you get spiritual sanity in the crazy world that we live in? 
Uh, Every day, extol God as king. Every day, bless his name and reflect on his greatness. Wake up and say, there's more to see here. There's more to learn about God's inexhaustible, limitless, immeasurable greatness. We never get to the point where we've seen all of God's greatness. Again, it doesn't mean we shouldn't search it out. It means you can start, but you'll never finish. Uh, And when we're basking in God's glory for eternity, we will never exhaust his greatness. We'll never say, oh, that's old hat, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Isn't there something new for us to do? Uh, Well, if you can't search out God's greatness, what can you do? Uh, The answer is you can pass it on. Uh, Verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Commending God's greatness to the next generation. Uh, Kids, that's a reference to you. Uh, The best gift that your parents can ever give to you is an understanding of how great God is. Is And so you can ask your parents later today, tell me one thing God did in your life to show you that he is great, and then let them tell you a story about them, but more importantly, about God and his greatness. Uh, so God's works reveal his greatness. They also reveal his goodness. Uh, verse 8, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, That echoes Exodus 34, when God reveals his glory in passing before Moses, who's hidden in the cleft of the rock. Uh, In verse 8, when it says um, that that God is um, abounding in steadfast love, that again is the word great. Uh, God is great in unfailing love. You can't measure the greatness of his unfailing love. Part of his immeasurable greatness is his steadfast covenant love to his people. Uh, And then verse 9 adds to that, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Uh, So his greatness lies also in his tenderness and his compassion toward all of his creatures. Uh, I worry about any form of theology that can't affirm what Psalm 145 says right here, that God is great in his steadfast love to his people, but also his mercy is over everything that he has made. Uh, So the psalm affirms not only that God is great, but that he is good. Uh, It's hard for us to believe that God is good. Uh, that he is generous, and that he wants to do good for us. People who have experienced angry, critical parents have a hard time believing in God's goodness. Uh, People who have suffered some kind of profound trauma have a hard time believing in God's goodness. Uh, And guess what? You don't have to be deeply hurt or have a broken heart to struggle with God's goodness. People who have ordinary lives marked by ordinary sins and ordinary struggles and frustrations have a hard time believing in God's goodness. We think, surely God doesn't want to be good to us. Surely He's just waiting to catch us in some wrong, 
so that he can express his holy disappointment and judgment. And the second half of the psalm is going to say something about that. So the second half of the psalm is really all about making the first half of the psalm more concrete. Uh, How do I, or maybe we should say, where do I experience God's greatness? Well, in verses 10 to 13, uh, we read that God is a king who brings a kingdom. And that word kingdom reappears several times in these verses. People will speak of his glorious kingdom. God will make known the glorious splendor of his kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's a rule that never ends. It endures through all generations. How do I make contact with God's greatness? I I make contact with God's greatness by being a part of his kingdom. I come under the reign of the king. I submit to the king. I listen to the words and the commands of the king. I live with other kingdom citizens in the kingdom community. That's where I come in contact with God's greatness. Uh, But what the second half of the psalm emphasizes is that God's majestic kingship is also his caring kingship. As a king, God is not a despot. He's not a tyrant. And if verses 10 to 13 tell us about God's divine reign, verses 14 to 20 are all about his divine regard. They explain what God's goodness looks like in a very concrete way. That the cosmic ruler of everyone and everything is also our supporter, our nourisher, uh, the one who feeds and preserves us, the one who cares for us. Uh, And really in verses 14 to 20, you, you just get these very short staccato blasts of ways that God is good. So, verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. God's goodness is that he helps. He's not rooting for us to fall. Instead, he upholds us when we fall. Our weaknesses and failures let us display the greatness of his faithfulness mercy, and love. Psalm 37, 24, though we stumble, we don't fall because the Lord upholds us. Uh, He raises up those who are bowed down, verse 14 says. All the power of his being and his kingdom are used to help broken people who are oppressed, who are oppressed, crushed by the weight of circumstances and falling into despair. Uh, In Exodus 3, God sees the affliction of the Israelites in Egypt, and he comes down to rescue them. It's good to remember in Scripture, God shows particular concern for the downtrodden and rescues them when they cry to him. I was reading this morning in Psalm 12, God says, Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will arise. That's God's response. Uh, when the poor are plundered and the needy groan. Uh, Verses 15 and 16, The eyes of all look to you, and you will give them their food in due season. You will open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. God provides. That's part of God's goodness. 
He gives food to all and opens his hand. An open hand is the opposite of a tight-fisted hand, a clenched fist. God is not stingy or unwilling to provide for us. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12. It was the meditation verse this morning. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Uh, And of course, our greatest need is God himself, and he freely gives himself to us in Jesus Christ, providing what every sinner needs most in forgiveness and renewal and transformation. Uh, Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. God is good in the way that he relates to us. He relates to us in a way where he is both righteous and gracious. He is upright and just, as well as being kind and merciful. Uh, That is ultimately what we see in the cross, that great moment of God's justice and his mercy. But it's actually flowing to us in everything that God does. Uh, We should be able to look at hard situations and say, you know what, God is, he is righteous and gracious in the way that he is relating to me through this thing. Uh, That's hard. Uh, This thing that I'm going through is difficult, but I want to see it as an expression of God's holiness and his goodness. Uh, Let's say that about this season and every particular season that we are in. God is righteous in his ways and he's kind in his works. He will be righteous and kind to us as individuals and as a church in all that we go through. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. God's goodness is that he hears us. Uh, You know, there are a lot of great people, powerful, important people, who don't hear the cries of those who are in need. Uh, There are a lot of great people who stay at a distance. They use their greatness to become inaccessible to other people who are in need. The great promise here is that in his goodness, God is close by and he hears our cries. God, whose greatness transcends anything that we can imagine, is near to us. He is accessible to us. His greatness doesn't make him unapproachable. His greatness is that he is at hand so that we can approach him. We can call on him in truth, in sincerity that is, not as a means to an end, and know that he is near. Verse 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Uh, God's goodness is not just that he hears us, is that he actually acts and answers when we cry out to him. Uh, And those who fear him cry out, and he will save us. He acts on our behalf. And then verse 20, The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. God's goodness uh, is that he protects us. He preserves us. He is a king who guards his people. Uh, Think of all the metaphors of the psalm. He's a shelter. He's a refuge. He's a fortress. 
He's a shield. We're under the shadow of his wings. He's a father who loves his children. Uh, And while it's true, according to verse 9, that God is good to all, his mercy is over all, he especially preserves those who love him. Uh, And there's this sober comment in verse 20, uh, all the wicked uh, he will destroy, those who rebel against him. And you just have to ask yourself after hearing this psalm, uh, if God is so great and if God is so good, why, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone rebel against him? Why would someone reject the king after hearing all of this and say no to his goodness and say no to his greatness and say no to his mercy and his abounding faithfulness? Why would someone say to God, I've got this. I don't need you for my life. I don't need the king. I will handle life on my own. Right? That would be crazy. I think that's what Psalm 145 is trying to say. So before we look at the final verse, verse 21, I just want to note a couple things about this psalm. One is the flow. It moves back and forth from God's greatness to his goodness. People disagree exactly what the structure is, but I think everybody more or less agrees. The psalm goes back and forth between God's greatness and his goodness. God is great, verses 3 to 6. God is good, verses 7 to 9. God is a king, verses 10 to 13. God is at hand, verses 14 to 20. Bouncing back and forth between God's transcendence, his great otherness, and his imminence, his closeness and with us-ness. Uh, and it's not that God is one or the other. You know, on Monday he's transcendent, and on Tuesday he's imminent, and on Wednesday he's transcendent again. Uh, it's not that sometimes God is one, and at other times he is the other. He is always and at every moment both. That is part of his unsearchable greatness. Every time I think about how imminent and close and present God is, I am led back to the fact that the one who is at my side is the king and the creator of the world. And every time I think about how transcendent and exalted he is, I am led back to the fact that this great God is with me every moment of the day. I think this is teaching us something about God's character. He is full of majesty and splendor, but he's also near to lift up the bow down and provide and protect. Uh, That is the character of God. It's the character of Jesus. Uh, It's what we see in his incarnation. It's what we see in his ministry, that the great one leaves the throne and humbles himself to serve us ultimately by going to the shameful death on the cross so that we could experience his goodness. God's character revealed in this psalm is ultimately on display in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, So let's look at verse 21, the last verse of the psalm. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. If you want to experience more of God's greatness, if you want to experience more of his goodness, praise him. Celebrate him. There is more to his greatness than you can ever search out. Every work that he does is great. Every gift that he gives is great, even if it doesn't look like it. Every way he relates to us in every moment and in every circumstance 
shows he is great. So praise him. Uh, if you look at the psalm, there's this really interesting movement uh, that you've got in verse 1, you've got a prelude, and verse 1 says, I will bless your name. Uh, in verse 10, you've got what functions kind of as an interlude, and verse 10 says, your faithful ones will bless you. And then the postlude in verse 21 climaxes, all flesh shall bless his holy name. So the blessing, the ones whose blessing, it moves from an individual person blessing God to a community of faith blessing God to all of humanity blessing God. These ever-expanding circles of praise. Praise that starts with a person, is expressed in a community, and ultimately uh, flows out from all of humanity. It crescendos and resounds uh, in all creation, everywhere and forever. Uh, that's our mission, to be a part of that ever-expanding circle of praise. Uh, I, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. That last phrase there, let all flesh bless His name forever and ever. It's the last of 17 occurrences of the word kol, all, in this psalm. God is faithful in all His ways. He's kind in all He does. He does good to all people. He has compassion on all creation. He helps all who are fallen and all who are bowed down. He satisfies the desires of all living creatures. He's close to all who call on Him. He protects all who love Him. He destroys all who oppose Him. Right? You hear it over and over again. I, I think it makes me think of all the precious all statements in the Bible. God works all things for the good of those who love him. God will make all grace abound to you in all things at all times. Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions. We need to remember promises like these. We need to ask, where do I doubt God's comprehensive greatness and goodness? Where do I need to shift my focus from some great problem or some great sorrow or some great fear to the greatness of God and His kingdom and His mercy. I think when we read something like Psalm 145, God is asking us to trust Him. Trust that He is great. Trust that He is good. Take these promises. Apply them in some situation where they seem impossible. Uh, but you will be blessed by focusing on the greatness of our God and His goodness to you. Speak the praise of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together.